up? Good morning. Oh, there we go. Good morning. What's up, Collide City Church family? We're getting organized here. Hey, this morning, oh, this is really loud. Can we turn me down a little bit? There we go. I'm a yeller. Hey, uh, this morning we are starting a brand new series titled, That's What He Said. <laughs> we'll jump into that in just a second. Let me say a big thank you for everybody who gave this morning. We really appreciate your giving. Uh, just to give a testimony, our giving's been going up. Little by little, every week it's been going up, which is a great thing. Just a reminder, we started in COVID with no in-person gatherings. Um, and we've made, I think we're on our seventh month. Feels like seven years. Nobody told me planting a church would be this hard. But we love it, love our family, love our community. But just super thankful for all of you who keep um, growing and tithing. And I know it's a faith walk right now, a journey. But I really appreciate that. Hey, um, Pastor Phil Moila, who pastors Inspire Church in Newark, California, was supposed to start off our series He's going to be preaching back-to-back messages. Um, he wasn't able to make it. He got sick last minute and because of all the COVID stuff and everything. We just want to be safe and quarantine. So he's got some medication and taking care of himself. Uh, it's not COVID. Don't, don't forget. That's not what it was. We're just really careful when somebody gets sick. So he'll be with us starting next week for the following two weeks, and he'll do the next part of our series. But over the next few weeks, and I don't know how long this series will go, one of our family values here at Collide is to be a biblical church. We believe in biblicality. What do I mean by that? That the scriptures are not just a passive thing that we read devotionally, that we live by this book, that this is the will and constitution of heaven. And we believe in this word and we believe, even as charismatics, I think sometimes we get a bad rap for not being people of the word. But in this house, we're going to be people of the spirit and people of the word. And everyone said? Thank you. I got you hanging with me. Um, So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the word of the Lord, not just the written word, but also the prophetic word. Many of you, we are a prophetic house, and many of you may be new to that type of culture. You're trying to figure out, how do I even hear God's voice? How do I know when God's speaking to me? We're going to handle all of that. You're not going to miss one, you're not going to want to miss one single Sunday because it's going to be really, really good. This morning, I had to prepare a message last minute, so if it's not the best one we've had, just give me another chance in a couple weeks when I come back. Uh, But this morning, I want to preach a message that I've titled Orthopraxy. This is going to be the first installment, and while I'm uh, kind of babbling, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read our theme scripture. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Keep your finger in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to head back there in a second. That's our main scripture. Even for this whole month, as we go through this series, we're going to really go through Matthew chapter 4. But turn to James chapter 1 really quick. We're going to read a bunch of scripture there. And we're going to start at verse 19, read all the way down. Can I have somebody grab a mic and read it for me? My uh, Bible is really small. We're going to read verses 19 all the way down through 27. I grew up in a, a black church. In a black church, the preacher never read the scripture. Somebody else always read the scripture, and he, you just yelled it back. That's pretty much it. Um, so we're going to get a little old school, a little old-fashioned. Is Migs back there? Okay, awesome. Migs, you are the fastest Mexican I know. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody really quick, grab it. We're, we're, we're live, guys. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go, we're going to read a bunch of scripture today. Our first one is James chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 all the way down through 27. Now, if you don't have a Bible, just borrow one from a Christian. It's all good. Um, That was a joke. No one, okay. Um, 
No, but it'll come up on your screen. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and uh, read it in the New King James Version. All right, while they're turning to that, let me go ahead and just tell you in two weeks on April 25th, I think that's two weeks from now, we're going to open up registration for in-person gatherings. And just to explain a little bit about how that's going to go, basically you're going to have to RSVP one week in advance. Our services are going to be in Fremont uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. every Sunday night. We're still going to be broadcasting our services live on Sunday morning as well. And so you'll be able to, if you're not comfortable yet, coming in person. That's okay. Don't worry. Don't freak out. We'll still have morning services online that you can attend. But in about two weeks, you'll have to go to thekalai.com slash in-person. And all you have to do is RSVP you and your family and attend. Now, we do have limited space because of the COVID situation and social distancing and all that stuff. Um, and so I want to make sure that you get there. It's going to open up at 7 p.m. on April 25th. We're going to have a video for you next week to kind of run you through RSVPing. All right. Are we ready for that scripture? James chapter 1, verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Yes. So then, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a yeah. doer of the word, yeah. this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless." Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I love that. I definitely had you read too many verses. Um, <laughs> but look back at James chapter 1, and I want you to read for me, Andrew, verse 22 and verse, actually read verse 21 through 22. Yeah, read 21 and 22 one more time for me. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, uh -huh. and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Here's what we're going to talk about today. It's time to be doers of the word. We're great at saying amen. We're great at taking notes. We're great at memorizing sermons and looking up our favorite YouTubes. I don't know if we're that great at putting into practice the word that we receive. Um, if we take it seriously when God speaks to our hearts or if we just look at it as an encouragement to just kind of sustain it. I believe the word is so much more than just encouraging. And so this morning in James, I, I thought it was important to read that scripture from James chapter 1 because there he implores us. He says it's not enough just to be hearers of the word only. It, yeah, you want to start with having the word in your heart, but you want to be doers of the word. He says it's almost like if you, if you hear the word and don't do anything with it, it's almost like you look into a mirror, you see something's wrong with your face, your eyebrows aren't on fleek, your lace front isn't straight, and then you walk away and you don't do anything about it. And this is how many of us are. I remember growing up. 
and it was such an honor to receive a prophetic word. It was like if you got called out by the minister and receive a prophetic word, man, you were a superstar. Looking back on that, I realized that we were more fascinated with the attention that we received than the word that we actually received. One more time. We were more obsessed and encouraged by the attention from the Lord that we received. And I don't know if we were too excited about what God actually had to say. Because when God speaks, it's encouraging. There's life there. Peter said, um, when you speak, life comes alive inside of me. There's life in the word of God. But we have to learn how to take the word of God in and then start acting out the word. Now, I've titled this sermon orthopraxy. Let me kind of give you a little, it's just a simple theological word. Two words, orthopraxy and then orthodoxy. Let me tell you orthodoxy first. You might recognize the term orthodox, orthodox Jew, orthodox. Um, there's different religions that use the term orthodox. When we talk about orthodoxy, we're talking about right doctrine, right or correct doctrine. Now, this is important, super important. It's important that you have a right theology about who God is because your theology about who God is will dictate your the, the, the philosophy that you have for who you are. That I am who I am because he is who he is. I see him as a father, that makes me his son. I see him as a judge, that makes me convicted. Like, my, how I see the Lord will dictate my uh, character, my integrity, my, my identity. Why is that important? Because orthodoxy should lead, and orthodox meaning right doctrine, orthodoxy should lead to orthopraxy. What is orthopraxy? Orthopraxy is right practices. Now, I'm giving you a super oversimplified definition of this, but at, at its kind of fundamental level, it's, it's really about having right practice. Now, here's the way it's supposed to work. I receive right doctrine. I'm transformed, renewed in my mind. I see the Lord rightly, and that changes and shifts my identity, and I begin to walk differently. Let me give you an example that Jesus gives us in the scripture. He talks about these uh, three, I'm assuming they're men, um, and he, there's a master who's given each of them a certain level of talent. Talents doesn't refer to gifts um, like we use the word in English. It refers to the money that they had. So one had five talents. I, don't, I forget exactly how many each one had. But they all had a certain level of talent. Now, you remember the story. The master comes back home uh, after having given them the talent and having left. He comes back home. He talks to the one who he gave the most money to. And that guy gives him feedback and said, man, this is what I did with it, made more money on it. The second guy who had the second most money uh, says to the master in the story that Jesus is telling, man, I multiplied your money, here it is. But then you have this one last one where all he did, the Bible says, was bury it down under. And when the master came back, he called that servant wicked. And the servant responds by saying, I would have done something with the talent that you gave me. I would have done something with the... Um, the money that you gave me, but I knew that you were a hard man. Let me talk about hard man theology for a second. Because we see God as judgmental, because we see him as hard, we walk under condemnation. How you see God will dictate how you live before him. That if I see him to be a hard man, I'm going to respond in fear and hide my gifts, hide my talent. Hide it because I don't have a right perspective that God is not a hard master. He's a good father. Somebody say amen right there. That's just one example that even Jesus gives to let us know that how you see the master is predicate, will predicate how you live before the master. And so when you look at um, the flaws in your life, the sin, the, the issues of life, a lot of them can be fixed by seeing the Lord rightly. 
one of the big things we even did it a little bit in worship, you'll hear me often say, man, God, I just want to gaze at you. I want to see your eyes. Because I believe what you behold, you become. Say that with me. Say, what you behold, you become. What you behold, you become. Now, this is in reference to, this scripture is in reference to uh, uh, the rapture. But it says, when we see God, we will be like him. Now, I think that's possible even outside of the rapture. Uh, we were formed in his image, and God is not intimidated for us to look like him, right? Um, but I believe even in that scripture as it refers to the rapture, that when we see God, we will be like him. I, I believe it's that way on the earth too. That as we gaze upon the Lord, as we spend time with him, we actually will be like him. Now, I'm going to say this, and this is a very general word, and so it doesn't fit everyone. So if it doesn't fit you, don't, don't get offended. Just pass it on. I've been doing a lot of counseling, and most of the people that I counsel right now that are struggling, that are going through deep things, do not have personal devotion with the Lord. They don't have a, a relationship with their Bible. They don't have a prayer life. Uh, they don't have consistent fasting, consistent sharing of their faith. And I'm realizing that we get caught up in our own anxieties because we start looking at all the things that are around us instead of looking at him. That when we have our gaze on him, it doesn't necessarily change our situation, but it gives us peace in the middle of the storm. It gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, but we have to be able to see him rightly. That's what orthodoxy is all about. It's not about gaining more knowledge. The Bible says, I think it's an ecclesiastic, um, that the mind is enmity to the Lord, that it's an enemy of the Lord. It's not about gaining more knowledge because you'll be puffed up in your knowledge. I, I see people who take so much pride in all the scripture that they know. You quoting scripture proves to me that you have a great memory. You living scripture proves to me that you have a walk with God. I'm going to say that one more time because I don't think you heard me. Some of you feel really deep because you know a lot of scripture. You know only as much scripture as you're willing to obey. It's real quiet in this Baptist church. Let me jump right into this. So when we talk about orthopraxy, we're talking about right practices. We want to live right before the Lord. So as we start this series, it's important for us to understand that we're learning the word, not so that we can just become theologians. We want to be like him. We want to walk like Christ. And that's important because the Pharisees, now you'll remember the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees were more political leaders. Pharisees were religious leaders. And the Pharisees had studied for the Messiah. They had all the law memorized. They, they knew the scripture. And still, they were able to miss Jesus because they were more obsessed with the law more obsessed with doctrine than they were the person of the doctrine. The per and, and they were able to miss the Messiah, even though they knew all the confirming scriptures. Why? Because their purpose was not to know the Lord, it was to know the word. The, the dangerous part of that, and, and I'm not speaking against the desire to know the word. We, we all want a desire to know the word. But for what purpose? That one of the danger in some of the circles that we're in is that we can tend to deify this book. Now, I'm going to say some things that are going to make you nervous. I'm going to tread lightly. But this book is not God. I'll give you just a couple seconds to breathe that in. Because I think some of us think it's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. When I was um, younger in ministry, you know, we do conferences now, but when I was younger in ministry, I was the guy who had to go pick up the speakers and everything from the conference. And so they would usually give me like a picture. Back then we didn't have iPhones, so they'd print out a big picture of whoever I was going to pick up, some famous person that I didn't know. I'd get to the airport, and when I got to the airport, I'd be looking for the person who was in this picture. Now, here's the deal. The picture I'm looking at is not the purpose of my, my drive. It's not the reason that I'm picking up. I'm pi it's pointing me to who I'm picking up. Are you catching the analogy? That, that the word of God is like the picture. We don't, we don't worship the Bible. We don't worship the scripture, but it does show us who he is. 
It shows us, that felt really good in my spirit. It shows us his character. Now, I'm probably going to butcher this explanation, and if I do, Andrew, just nod at me condescendingly. Um, and I'll give you the mic, and you can explain it. But when we come to, and I'm going to do such a horrible job of this, because you really need so much time to be able to expand on this. But the Bible says in John chapter 1 that God was the Word, that the Word was with God, and he became flesh, right? You, you know that scripture. Let's turn to it. Turn to John chapter 1 and read that first verse so they don't think we're cult. We actually love the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that word there, if I'm correct, Andrew, it's logos, right? Now that word logos doesn't talk just about the written Word of God. It's so much deeper than that. It's talking about, and I hate to use more of a new age term, but for the lack of a better term, it's almost like it's referring to the word as the essence of who God is. Why is that? Culturally, and Andrew was kind of talking to me about this a little bit, that when somebody talked about the word, what you were talking about was uh, their essence, that who they were, that it was put into this manuscript, it was put into this writing, that when we talked about the word, it wasn't just about the written word, it was this, this word reveals who the person is, that it is their essence. Did I kind of get that okay? Come on, come on. We're messy today. Come on. Real quick, real quick. Because I want to make sure, because I, I want to tell you something about this point. It's, it's really important. Go for it. There's a few layers to when we talk about logos, right? There's, there's the literal, like, word, like, just word. And then there's a little bit bigger, like, oh, it's the, his actual statement. But there's something a little bit beyond that, like, everything that I stand for. Everything that has my stamp on it, everything that represents me, everything that embodies who I am, so that even if I like died or if I stepped out of the way, this would capture everything that I stand for, I believe in, that like I, I was convicted by. This is what I want to be remembered for. It's my embodiment, you know? And so it's like, this is my logos. This captures everything that I care about, yeah. believe in, that I would say, that I would do. It's who I am, right? And so most people, they don't have an actual living logos but then jesus was alive so yeah so what look, thank you angel let's give him a round of applause because he's smarter than me in jesus name paid more money to get that smart um so when we talk about the logos it, it yes it refers to the written word of god but it also refers to as you see this written word you know the essence of the person who's writing it so this isn't just a word or a term that was used just for deity but you would have a a writer back in that day and they would use the same terminology that this is my word and it was referring to kind of like that logo situation that it it represents who i am that it's my essence are we on the same page do we all get that that helps me to understand why in those moments because the Bible says that his logos, his essence became flesh. Who he was is now, this is so good, revealed in the physical person of Jesus. This is so important. This is why the word is so important. Because the Bible, the scriptures, the logos, the written word of God shows us the essence of who God is uh, in a way that's written that we can see his essence. Now it says that that logos became flesh. That's when it's letting us know that that logos, that essence was no longer, because you remember in John chapter 4 that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But he's letting us know here that the spirit became flesh, that it became physical, the, the essence of God. Why do I say that? Have you ever been in one of those moments where you were just so confused? You had decisions you needed to make. Life was kicking you in the butt. Then you got into the presence of God, and he never even said anything, but all of a sudden, everything was good. Like, it just, the presence of God 
all of a sudden, he begins to speak to you. Why? Because his presence is his word, and his word is his essence. That I want to get to know his word so I can get to know who he is. See, many of us really believe that God leaves us when we go through trials because we don't know this word well enough to believe that his essence will never leave us. That his presence will always be with us. I hope, we're, I hope you guys are still with me on this. Are you still tracking? All right. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And help me read here again. Matthew chapter 4. And this is our theme verse for the entire series here. And I think I'm actually going to be done on time today. Like I, I'm looking at the clock and I feel really good. Praise so, the Lord. So Matthew chapter 4, read verses 1 through, just keep reading. I'll tell you when to stop. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Stop. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. We blame wilderness seasons on our job. We blame them on our careers. We blame them on our family. We blame them on our breakups. That's why we're in the desert. But sometimes the spirit of God will lead you into a desert season. And you're going to see in a minute that he's doing it so that he can produce fruit in you. All right, keep reading. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. That's deep. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. Stop one second. What's the question that he starts off this conversation with the Lord? Let me paint this picture for you. Jesus has just gotten baptized, and we're going to jump there in a second. Uh, he's just gotten baptized. He's been driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of the Lord, and he's being tempted by the devil after, he's eat, uh, after he hasn't eaten uh, for 40 days. And I, I love that the Bible made it clear. He hadn't eaten for 40 days, and Jesus was hungry. Like, thank you for that prophetic revelation. <laughs> um, uh, but here's the cool thing. You're going to see, like, I want you to hear the question. Read that question one more time, the first question that Satan asked Jesus. If you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. Okay, let's stop there. Go to chapter 3 of that same book, Matthew, and read verse 13 all the way down to the end of the chapter. It's just like four verses. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in three verses, all it's going to take is three verses, because we go from that to three more verses, and what does the devil say? If you really are the son of God. Now, just a couple verses ago that we just read in chapter 3, the heavens just opened, and God himself, and this is a picture of, of the Trinity, because you have God the Father in heaven who's ripped open the heavens, and he's speaking to his, uh, his son, the, the second person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit, that's the third person of the Trinity, falls on Jesus, and God says, the Father, you are my son who I'm well pleased with, and in a few verses later in chapter 4, the devil comes and says, if you really are the son of God, your trials, your situations come to challenge the word of God in your life. The enemy does not like the prophetic word of your life. 
He doesn't like what God has to say about you in the written word. He doesn't like the fact that you are the head and not the tail. He doesn't care about the fact that you're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the field, that you're above and not beneath, that you're a lender to nations and you're not a borrower because he knows that he's going to challenge every word that you've ever received from the Lord. Even Jesus is having the word that his father has spoken to him, challenged by Satan. And he's the master, the founder of our faith. How much more so for us? That we're going to be challenged in every area. The problem is when we go through trials, we don't have enough word in us to hold on to. And so we walk on discouragement. And this is what we do. This is this generation. We look for Twitter quotes. We look for Instagram videos. We look for a little YouTube sermon to kind of pump us up. Because this is one of the most biblically illiterate generations ever. Which is why we don't sustain during tough times. Jesus is challenged by the very word that he just received from his father. And it's all about identity. It's all about who he is. If you really are the son, why don't you go ahead and do this? And what's Jesus' response? Go ahead and read, Andrew. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, this is taken out of the Old Testament, and God's letting his people know that you as human beings don't live just by earthly means, that there is a spiritual thing that's happening behind the scenes that's keeping you sustained, that you think that you're living off of earthly bread, but it's actually every word that comes out of the mouth of God that has you even existing. Now, where do I get that from? Hebrews talks about, the, I think it's Hebrews 11, 6, something like that, or it might be 1, but it's in, in chapter 11. It says that the worlds were formed by the words of God. The Hebrews believed that it was almost as if God's tongue literally came out and formed everything that he said, let there be, you know. What do I mean when I say that there's something happening behind the scenes? Hebrews 11 says that the worlds were formed by the words of God. That everything that's happening in the world, it is existing because God spoke it into existence. There's nothing that we see in the earth today that God didn't speak, let there be. And what he's telling us here in the text in Matthew chapter 4 is that you can't just be sustained off of earthly carnal things. That there has to be something supernatural. There has to be a word from the Lord that is sustaining you. The same word that God spoke to create the world is the same word he wants to speak in us to, to keep us sustained. The thing that will sustain you in every trial is not an encouraging sermon. It's diving into the word of God, getting to know who he is, getting out of just the Psalms and starting to walk through the Romans and getting through James and starting to figure out who he is. Because all of a sudden, just like when I would go to that airport, the story I would tell you that this is going to point you to where God is, right? So he says, if you really are the son, go ahead and feed yourself. And then Jesus, what does he do? Jesus doesn't talk about how big and bad he is, and he has the right to do it because he is big and bad. He responds to him and says, the scripture says that man shall not live by bread alone. Can I ask you, do you have a scripture for every fight that you're in? Do you know enough word to be able to battle the enemy with the scripture? Because I want to let you know the devil knows the word. He knows it better than every preacher I've ever met. He was there when the word was written. The, the Satan, he knows the word, and he is not afraid of you. He's afraid of who's in you. And this is why you can't go around. I see people do this, especially in our Pentecostal circles. It's almost like we, we broadcast how big and anointed we are. The devil's not scared about that because your anointing is only under the authority of who Christ is. The enemy is afraid of who Christ is, right? So when Jesus is quoting the word, he's quoting something that is authority against the enemy. It is. One of the things, and you guys heard me say this, I think, a couple weeks ago. I told our worship team, one of the things I want to start doing is as we sing spontaneously, I want us to start singing the word. 
I want us to start getting the word out there. Why? There's something about battling with the scripture. When you're discouraged, you can say what David said in the Psalms, my soul is downcast, but I hope in God. You can say like he says in Psalms 27, when you feel like giving up, when you feel like you're at the end of your, your rope. He said, I would have despaired except I saw the Lord in the land of the living. You're, you're trying to figure out how to pay rent and, and you don't have the funds. You start declaring to yourself that I am a lender to nations and I'm not a borrower. All of a sudden you start making war with what you're experiencing, not with your words, but with his. The doctor tells you you're sick in the body. Listen, I get that doctor and I appreciate your education, but I've got a word that says that healing is the children's bread. You get saved and your kids are backslidden and you're trying to figure out how do I get them back home? Don't just cry about it. Start quoting the word. The Bible says that God saves unto a household. You've got to learn how to make war with the word. Jesus is fighting the enemy with the word of God. Keep reading for me, Andrew. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall not give you his angels charge, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Oh wait, I just told you the devil knows how to quote scripture. <laughs> the devil knows how to quote scripture. The second thing I want to say is the devil doesn't give up with just one strike. The devil's going to keep fighting you. And, and that's a confusing part for some of us because we can last through the first fight. It's like we got the first fight. Oh, I can catch my breath. But what do you do when the enemy hits you again? When you're hit on every side, when you're pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned. What do you do when you're in those moments? I'll, I'll tell you what you do. You cling on to the word because the word helps me to trace him. And tracing him helps me to trust him. It helps me to find where he is. Now, now, the devil here should have given up on the first time, but he doesn't give up on the first time. He comes back and tries to tempt Jesus again. And, and keep reading for me, Andrew. And Jesus is about to respond with the word again. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Keep reading. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, I, I love it because in, in my translation, I got the ESV up here. It says, and Jesus told the devil, go away. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it, you just got to tell the devil, go to hell. But I love it because even in the third temptation, even in the third push that the enemy gives Jesus, Jesus stands firm and continues to quote the word in spite of the temptation. And here's what we got to be careful because I see people trying to discern where God's calling them from, but you don't have word inside of you. So you don't know the tone of God. You don't know the nature of God. You don't know his character. Um, I'm not married, uh, but to my wife who's watching by faith in Jesus name, um, if you get married, there should come a point in your marriage where there are certain questions you don't have to ask your spouse anymore. You don't have to ask them, do you want, you know, Brussels sprouts for dinner? You already know whether they like Brussels sprouts or not. You know them well enough. I, I grew up in a black home, and my grandmother's black. Uh, my whole family's black. And uh, in a black household, parents don't really talk to you when you get in trouble. Like, they just look at you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, not enough people of color in the room. So I remember 
like go, going to grocery stores, and if I messed up in a grocery store, I could feel the death rays of my grandmother looking on me. My grandmother had a couple rules when we walked into the store. Don't touch nothing. Don't ask for nothing. And don't, <laughs> don't let the cart hit the back of my heel. <laughs> Lisa's like, amen. Right? Um, and I remember there would be times where, you know, you're kids, so you're just messing around. You're playing around. And my grandmother would just look at us and not say anything, and I knew everything she had to say. Because sometimes you can know somebody well enough that even when they're not speaking, you know what they're saying. See, that's what it is with the word of God. There's never a season where God goes mute on me. He, he can't go mute. He's the word. When he shows up, he's speaking. The problem is that the trials of life begin to cloud his voice and take all, the, add all of these filters into hearing the voice of God. And so you're sitting here trying to figure out, do I go to this school or do I go to this school? And you would know if you would know the heart of God, the nature of God. You would know what he's saying even when you're not receiving a direct prophetic word. There are just some things, you know, I, if I meet a girl and she's not saved, I don't have to ask God, is this the one? I know by way of his word that she's not the one. Okay, no single people are saying amen. Um, if... If um, you could use any example in the scripture, there are some things that I get to know the nature and the heart of God. That's even where discernment comes from. I'm going to talk about that in a few weeks. A lot of discernment comes from getting to know the vocabulary of scripture. That as I walk in the word and I get to know who God is, all of a sudden I get to know his nature. So I'm walking through the scripture and I want to be able to go into my battles with a word. Because in the kingdom, it's illegal to go into a spiritual battle without a word from God. You've got to have a word from the Lord. And Jesus here, in spite of the temptation of the enemy, in spite of him offering him the world, offering him a great career, Lord, is, should I take this? He doesn't even have to pray about it. All he has to do is quote the word because he already knows what God has spoken onto him. Here's the last point I want to make as we close. If we're going to be people who practice orthopraxy or being people who not just know orthodox or, or doctrine, we have to be people who walk it out. We're going to have to be people who are prepared to hold on to the word before the trial ever comes. This um, next month or two as we dive into the series, we're going to hit all kinds of aspects as it concerns the word of God. But none of it matters if you don't apply it. Jesus could have known all the scripture in the world, but if he had kept his mouth shut, I don't know if he would have withstand the temptation of the enemy. Many of us, we allow the enemy to paralyze us. The Bible says that the enemy is like a lion. If you ever watch one of those Discovery Channel shows, you see what happens is that a lion will come up to a little jackrabbit and Leventia will just open up his mouth. And just because of pure fear, the, the volume and the veracity of his open mouth, that whatever animal he's kind of targeting or going after will just stand and be frozen, like in fear. And that's what the enemy does sometimes. But I, there's this one word that slipped in there that's really important. It said that the enemy is like a lion. <laughs> I think you missed that one word. That one word is so important. Why is that so important, Calvin? Because I know the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And you've not seen a roar until you've seen his roar. And yes, the enemy might be like a lion, but he's only doing that to try to paralyze you. He's trying to freeze you. That's why you're going through what you're going through. But I want to encourage you to do what Jesus did in the day of his temptation. Hold fast to the word of God. Paul said this to Timothy. He said, hold fast to the prophetic words that were spoken over you. Stir them up inside of you. When you start going through trials, 
Make your default no longer this sad pity party where we cry and go all, like, I'm all down for that. If you watch our services, you, you are a part of our church, I'm all about emotional intelligence and feeling the feels and walking through it. But at some point, we got to be like Jesus when Lazarus died. The Bible says Jesus wept. It was the shortest verse in the whole Bible. And then after that, they got to work. I believe in crying. I believe in being sad if times are hard. I believe in admitting that I feel weak and all this stuff. But at some point, I've got to gird up my loins with the truth of the gospel. I've got to gird up my spiritual loins with the word of God. And I've got to begin to rise above my situation and hold fast. But here's my concern, and I was praying about what to preach today last minute. And this week, the Lord's been talking to me about consistency, about faithfulness. That consistent Christians mature faster. What do I mean by consistent? You're going to go through stuff in life. It's going to try to knock you out, knock you down. What if what you're going through is supposed to make you stronger, not more burdened down? But if you face it without knowing the character and the word at the heart of God. Remember we said John chapter 1. That his word, that his essence, who he is, it's wrapped up in this. This is not God, but it's showing us what he's like. What's your relationship like with your Bible? When's the last time you sat down and just said, Lord, speak to me? Like you used to do in youth group. When's the last time you said, man, I'm not going to ask my pastor about this theological question. I'm actually going to try to do some research myself because I want to have a relationship with the word. One of the things you could be doing right now, every Wednesday at 7.30, we have Bible study. And we're not just going through the word, learning the word. We're teaching you how to learn the word so that you have the tools to be able to do that yourself. And some of us don't show up because our favorite show is on Wednesday night. And you're missing out on a spiritual inheritance because you're not willing to put in the work. Now, how was Jesus able to quote the scripture to the enemy? It was in him. Nothing will come out of you that you haven't put in you. What do I mean by that? You've got to get the word of God in you, friend. You've got to, you've got to get it memorized. We're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. You've got to get it so deep in you that Psalms 119 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm finished here. But the Lord this week has been talking to me about consistency and faithfulness. And I just felt like... Uh, there's a couple of keys to staying consistent, but one of the major keys I've realized to being consistent in my faith is having a relationship with the scriptures. In seasons where I do not have a relationship with the scriptures, I'm more discouraged because I'm not leaning on his character. I'm not leaning on his essence. I'm not reminding myself of who he is in the day of trouble. Or you might be like, I used to be as a preacher and I only pick up the word when it's time to preach. If I need to use it, if I'm in the middle of a fight, but even as I'm not in, in a season of trial and temptation. I've got to learn how to receive the word, how to put it in me, how to study it, how to have a relationship. Some of you are saying, well, I don't understand the Bible. You didn't understand Spanish in high school either. It took you a while. Pero mira ahorita. I'm not even going to go there because I don't want the Latin women to hit me up. I do, actually. I really do. So a mi esposa, lo quiero. But I think about that because I was talking to a kid, and I got four minutes. I'll just babble for the last four minutes, all right? Um, but I remember when I, was, I used to teach prophetic classes to teach people how to hear the, the voice of God. And we're going to go over that over the next few weeks. 
But uh, I was talking to this person who was super frustrated. They were saying, I just can't hear God's voice. I can't hear God's voice. I just don't have a prophetic word. And I was like, do you have a Bible? You got a bunch of prophetic words. They're all in here. It's like, well, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't know how to discern his voice. I said, you'll never know how to discern his voice until you hear his voice. You got to hear his voice. You got to get to know his character, know his tone. And I told them, I said, I know it's frustrating. I get it. Because I remember, anybody ever do this one? Lord, speak to me wherever it opens. Leviticus. Let me try again. Lord, Deuteronomy. Okay. And then you just open it to Psalms. <laughs> I'm just going to read something encouraging. Here's what I told that young kid. I said, I know it's frustrating because you read the scripture sometimes and it doesn't always make sense. The funny part is when we want to learn a video game, we'll go on YouTube and watch all kinds of stuff to try to figure out how to play a video game, but we won't do it for the word of God. But that's a whole nother story. I said, um, I could speak a couple of languages. At that time, I could speak a few languages fluently. I've kind of fell off now. But I said, each language that I've learned, when I approached it, it was intimidating because I knew nothing. I didn't understand the inflections. I didn't know how to work my mouth so that I could say it. But after enough practice, after enough going over it, after having a mentor and a teacher to walk me through, I can speak Spanish now fluently. I can speak a couple other languages partially now. Learning the scriptures and learning to understand the scriptures is learning the voice and the language of God. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a little time. This is why we're trying to get you plugged into Bible study. I heard a testimony last week that somebody who's, I think she's a new believer, yeah? Or unbeliever, huh? Coming back to the Lord. All right. And uh, she was in Bible study, I think it was this last Wednesday. Uh, and after hearing the study and, and walking through it, one of the things that she testified, she said, man, this story's never made sense to me before. It finally makes sense. It's going to take some time. You're going to need to walk with some people a little bit. And I'm talking especially to those, and I'm not just talking about new Christians. Some of you old Christians don't know anything after John 3.16. It's time to get back in the word. You need to show up to Bible study on Wednesday nights. Go and register. I want our church to have a relationship with the word so that when we go through trials, we're not taken out every time. We're holding on to the word of God. We're really fighting our battles with the word of God. Is this making sense? Why do I call it orthopraxy? And here's my last minute and a half. I've got a lot of friends who are caught up in They've graduated seminary and all that stuff, and I appreciate their knowledge and education. But I went through a season of my life where a lot of my friends were so caught up in right doctrine, but they were the meanest people, the rudest people, had the nastiest attitudes, were judgmental, harsh, critical. Uh, but they knew the word. <laughs> if you know the word, but you don't live the word, if you don't allow the word to transform you, the Bible says it's almost like you, you're a dog who's thrown up and then you start to eat your vomit again. It just doesn't make sense. The word is supposed to change who you are. It's supposed to change and rearrange how you think. But none of that will happen if you don't get into it. I want us to love the word. And one of the things you'll hear me say over the next few weeks, you cannot love what you do not know. The reason Jesus was able to quote the scripture is because it was in him. When's the last time you sat down and said, I'm going to memorize scripture? Oh, my memory's not that good. Memorize short scriptures. We make so many excuses, but I want to build up strong Christians. And in order to be a strong Christian, in order to have a right practice, we've got to have right doctrine and right theology. But to get there, we've got to get in the word. Can you say amen? If you're in this room, stand up with me. If you're watching, keep watching. Next week, Pastor Phil's going to be with us. It's going to be a good time. He's such a great Bible teacher. You're not going to want to miss it. Invite a friend.
we have some family values here at our church and includes generosity, being presence-driven, includes being global, which means being global and local in our perspective. But one of the big ones is being biblical, that we want to be a biblical people. I think uh, when we hear that, we, we think, oh, we want to be biblical because we don't want to be caught up and be a cult or something like that. That's not the, the thing for me. The reason I want to be biblical is because I want to know him. I don't want to be moved by my emotions or just my flesh. I want to be moved by his word. In spite of how I feel, there are some truths that I hold on to. You might not feel victorious, but I've got the victory because the word says I've got the victory. And so when I'm, when I'm going through, I'm not going to lean on my feelings. I'm going to lean on his word. And that's got to be so important for our community. We can't just be a people who are worshiping for hours and, and preaching and all this other stuff, but not having a relationship with the written word of God, getting to know who God is. My last encouragement is to some of you, you love to come to me or some of our other pastors and leaders and say, what does the Bible say about this? I'm, I'm rarely going to answer those questions. I'm rarely going to answer Bible questions for you, even the ones that I do know. Because I'm going to get you to start practicing using your own authority in the word to dive in and start to get to know it yourself. Does that make sense? I, I don't want to create handicapped Christians. I want you strong and mighty in the Lord. Would you take a minute and just bow your head as we close? Maybe you're hearing this word and you feel a little convicted because you said, man, this is how I fight my battles. But when the battles come, you find yourself just uh, giving up or paralyzed in fear or struggling. The Spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness there he was tempted. He overcame temptation because he kept attacking the enemy, not just with his authority, but with the word of God. He didn't have to, but he did. And I think Jesus is proving us something. He's saying you'll be victorious if you're sustained by the word of God. So I just want to be quiet for a moment because for some of you who don't have a relationship with your Bible or the word of God, I want the Holy Spirit to convict you right now. Holy Spirit, would you convict our hearts? Just listen to the Lord for a moment. He wants to speak. Man shall not live from paycheck to paycheck, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's not just the natural things that sustain us, Lord. It's your word that sustains us. Would you just pray one more time? And I want you to pray this prayer. Just ask the Lord, would you give me a deeper relationship with the word? Help me to understand it more. Give me motivation to read it and to study it more. Go ahead, and, and I want you to pray about your relationship with the, the Word of God. You might have a great relationship with the Word. Ask the Lord to improve it. Ask the Lord to send you disciples so you can disciple others in the Word. Go ahead and pray. Awesome, awesome. Praise God. I'm going to close this in prayer, and we'll see you next week. Don't forget, make sure you tell a couple friends to join us in a few few weeks. But Pastor Phil's going to come next week, and he's really going to talk about the legitimacy of Scripture, the canonized Scripture, some other good stuff, and he's going to really preach us happy.
But over this series, I want you to um, really make time for the word. Some of you might say, I don't have enough time. I'm so busy. I'm with you. I get it. But you got to make time. If we're going to be sustained, we got to make time. And so every day, even if it's just 15 minutes, just set aside some time where you say, I'm, I'm going to get into this word. And even more than just devotionally, that's why it's so important for you to show up to Bible study so we can teach you how to study the word. But to get into it and to dive even more than the Psalms, we want to get into some other scriptures and dive into the character and nature of God. I want you to pray this week and, and start building a relationship with the scriptures and the word of God, all right? God, I thank you for your presence, that you envelop us every week here at Collide, God, and we don't take it for granted. God, we know that we are blessed people with how you've gifted us with your presence. God, I pray that we would not just be a people of your presence, but we would be a people of your word, a people of the truth, a people who are not ashamed of your word. God, that we love your word because it reveals who you are. God, you are I just sense in my spirit there's somebody's listening and you're saying, man, God doesn't even know me. He doesn't hear me. And I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you he's not forgotten you. I, I don't know why I'm hearing this, but there's somebody in the spirit you're saying to yourself, Bible, I can't hear God. There's no chance. I just hear the Lord say, step out in faith. Just trust me. God, would you give us a hunger for your word, a motivation to be in your word. Make us a people who are not afraid to quote your word, to make war against the enemy with your word. God, make us a people who have right lifestyles, right practice. Make us holy like you're holy. But God, teach us who you are. Teach us your ways. Teach us your goodness. We love you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Everybody said. Hey, Collide City Church, I love you, fam. We're going to be right back here next Sunday at 10 a.m. I can't wait to say we'll be right here next Sunday at 5 p.m. That's going to be a lot of fun. But don't forget to, uh, if you have any questions, go to theclyde.com slash in person. It's going to be awesome. Love you all. See you all next week, all right?